0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter uh, 8, Exodus chapter 8. Uh, we um, are studying through the book of Exodus and we come now to uh, the third plague in Exodus chapter 8. We're going to read, begin reading in verse uh, 16 of chapter 8. And uh, this is a... Um, a short portion of a scripture compared to what we've been dealing with, but we're trying to look at each one of those plagues, and then I'll give us a reminder as to the reason why uh, God sent those plagues uh, among the Egyptians, among the land of Egypt there. And so let's look here, Exodus chapter 8, verse 16, the Bible says, "...and the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt." And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not. So there were were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. I want to bring your attention here to verse 19, where the Bible says, and this is, uh, it's amazing to think that this is not from the mouth of Moses or the mouth of Aaron. This is from the mouth of the magicians, those who up to this point have, been tried, uh, have tried to duplicate the miracles and the plagues that uh, God did through uh, Moses and Aaron. And so here, they, they have to get to the place where they admit and say, this is the finger of God. Amen. And uh, it is interesting to note that Pharaoh, after the admission of those who would probably be the most powerful men in the land, that Pharaoh still hardened his heart And would not let the people go. But I want to preach uh, this evening on this study as we think about this word. This is the finger of God. We've been looking at each one of the plagues here. And we're going to work our way through the book of Exodus. And there's no doubt uh, many things that we learn as I uh, want to remind us throughout uh, the the study of the book of Exodus. That the theme of the book is from Exodus 19.4. When God reminds them in Exodus 19.4, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Uh, Ultimately, what we find happening here in the book of Exodus is about God bringing His people to Himself. Uh, We know as I gave the reason here for the plagues, I will uh, remind those, and I'm going to do this every time we deal with a plague, because it's important to know why did God send plagues. It's interesting to consider that throughout... Uh, the scriptures in the Old and even in the New Testament, when you see God sending forth judgment, often God doesn't, although He could, He doesn't send His hand of judgment and immediately stamp out man. Uh, the first plague was for seven days. there was The water was turned to blood. And then Uh, The next plague, remember the frogs that were everywhere, that was also temporary. Until Pharaoh appealed to Pharaoh and Aaron and said, "Ask God that He would take the frogs away." And then uh, the frogs went away. Although there was heaps and the stink and the stench everywhere. uh, The point is here that God, His judges, His hand of judgment is often there not to stamp out man, but to get the attention of man, that man would. Repent that men would get right with God. Even as we look in the book of Revelation, as you think about the, uh, the seals and uh, the, the vials and the trumpets, all those things, why does God do things in stages? Well, throughout the book of Revelation, God reminds us after something happened, He says, and they repented not. Which tells us that the point of what God is doing is that He wants men to repent and to get right with Him. Now, the first reason I gave for those plagues, and these come from the Scriptures, the first reason is that God sent the plagues to manifest His mighty power in a public fashion. Uh, We see that in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, where the Bible says, "And And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And by the way, we're going to know that even after the children of Israel leave Egypt, they're going to enter into another land and people are going to remember what? What God did for them. And so God is declaring His power publicly. Secondly, we know that these plagues were sent to display God's wrath against Pharaoh and against His cruel treatment of the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 16, the Bible says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. And so Pharaoh would become very aware that those plagues are happening because God's judgment is upon sin and upon the cruelty of Pharaoh. We also know that God sent the plagues to exercise judgment upon the gods of the Egyptians and to demonstrate that God was greater than all the Egyptian gods, we see that in numbers chapter 33 and uh, chapter uh, 33 verse 4 that God was in part showing the Egyptians that their gods that they worship were false gods. And each one of the plague was a direct attack against the Egyptian gods. We also know that God sent the plagues to stand as a warning to all other nations. In Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, God made the promise to Abraham, those who bless you I will bless and those who curse you I will curse. And so God would fulfill His word there. Later also in Joshua and 1 Samuel chapter 4 and 8, this is repeated. But also there's another reason which I think often is forgotten and neglected is that God sent the plagues to test the children of Israel. Now uh, turn with me here to two parts. First of all to Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And verse thirty-three, and then we'll go over to back to Exodus chapter fifteen, verse one. But notice Deuteronomy chapter four, verse thirty-three. God's word says, "Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and live? Or has God a say to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation by temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and by a stretched-out arm?" And by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord he is God, there is none else beside him. And so we understand that yet God was judging the Egyptians and he was teaching the Egyptians and he was pouring out his wrath and his judgment upon the Egyptians, but God was also teaching the children of Israel something about himself. We would read later when Isaiah and some of the prophets refer back to this redemption out of Egyptian bondage, we know that uh, uh, Israel in some part had began to worship those false gods. And so God had to show them that the gods that they had gro- grown accustomed to, that they had become familiar with, were gods that needed to be rejected and they had uh, idolatry had seeped into the nation of Israel. And we find that very evident at Mount Sinai when they fashion a golden calf and say these are the gods that have brought us out of Egyptian bondage. And so God was showing them that there is only one God, and that's Jehovah God. Now the first two plagues were long enough to get the attention of both the Egyptians and the children of Israel, but not long enough to kill them, if you remember. Now the last plague will be a plague where the firstborn of every household is going to die and that's going to be a a death judgment but so far God is trying to get their attention Uh, the first plague as we saw in Exodus chapter 7 verse 25 the waters were turned to blood and so whether it was in their pots or whether it was the Nile River it was turned to blood and we know that the Nile uh, around surrounding the Nile was many Egyptian gods we talked about how many of the temples were erected along the Nile River And they would often, as the Pharaoh would in pattern, he would go often in the first thing in the morning by the Nile and often worship the false gods of the Nile. We talked about how the Nile once a year would overflow and would just uh, uh, fertilize the entire land of Egypt and would create bodies of waters and would nourish the land. And so that was, can you imagine now all that becoming blood? And I'm not saying that the water turned red. It turned into blood, literal blood. You can imagine the, the stench of blood for seven days throughout the land. The Egyptians were so desperate that the Bible says they began to dig holes around the river to see if they could find some fresh water. And then we have after that, that lasted seven days and there was reprieve. And so we see here that then God sent uh, uh, Moses and Aaron to, the, uh, to Pharaoh... Uh, to ask him once again to let the people go, and and he would not, and so they send the frogs. In Exodus chapter 8 and verse 3, we see that the plague lasted really until Pharaoh appealed to Moses to ask the Lord to take away the plague. We talked about how the frogs were everywhere. Uh, I was pretty detailed and graphic as to the conditions there in Egypt. I think we could say that the first plague was a great inconvenience. Water turned blood. There was no water for them to drink. The second plague was a great annoyance. There was frogs everywhere in your bed and your food. Everywhere you walked, there was frogs. This one is, I, I would I would say the great the first plague was a great inconvenience. The second was a great annoyance. The third one is great irritation in the lice. Lice everywhere. We just read in our text. This is going to convince the Magicians, the lies. Now we think blood—that's visible. You think about a a visible change, something that would, to the Egyptian, cause the Egyptians to fear and to tremble to see all the waters turned to blood, their posh that they had turned to blood. And then you think about coming out of the river after it turned back to normal uh, water, then to see the frogs coming out of every body of water in Egypt and crowding everywhere, every place, every house, every chamber, every bed, every kneading pot, everywhere the frogs were. Finally, uh, Moses and Aaron appear to uh, appeal to God on behalf of Pharaoh because Pharaoh said he would let the people go, but Pharaoh goes back on this promise. It's interesting that when we think about this next plague, God doesn't send Moses and Aaron to to Pharaoh. He just sends the plague. Why? I think that's because he went back on his word. You see, up to this point, every time before the plague comes, God sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh to say, if you don't let the people go, this will happen. But now Pharaoh, after plague two, has gone back on his word, and now he just sends the plague. And I want us to examine this passage here from verse 16 of Exodus chapter 8 down to verse 19. Notice verse eight, 16, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And so as I mentioned here, unlike the first two plagues, this plague came without a warning to Pharaoh, without a message to Pharaoh. Now remember, Pharaoh had just gone back on his word to let the children of Israel go. And I'm reminded of Proverbs 21, 29, ones which says this, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy, which means without warning or mercy. And so here the next bite comes. Why? Because Pharaoh... Has been reproved a number of times, and yet he has hardened his neck and so God says that, as a principle, if you do that, God will send something suddenly without remedy and so Pharaoh here is going to experience here this proverb, and we get to read about it. We read in verse seven the Bible says, and they did so, so they do what God says for Aaron stretched out his hand with the rod with his rod and, to, and, and, and um, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, I've tried to take the time here. I think it's important for us to understand the magnitude of what's going on. You know, we read, all oh, water turned to blood, and frogs, and yeah, I like frogs, and, and lice. Well, I've had lice before, and, and we may just, you know, think little of those things, but I think we have to be reminded of the weight of the judgment and those plagues. The word lice here, uh, some people say if you have your sometimes people say gnats or whatever, but it just means the word itself means fastening. Uh, It uh, it is a gnat-like insect that infixes uh, upon your skin and then stings you. Uh, This lice would fasten themselves here to the bodies of both man and beast, as we read in our text. And once fastened, to the skin, the lice would inflict a sting that would cause a great discomfort. Uh, now, when we read here in verse sixteen and seventeen, uh, Moses and Aaron are instructed to smite the dust of the land so that notice the dust of the land would become lice. Now, think about dust. There's if you go to Egypt, there's dust everywhere. It is not a small thing, and so the dust would become lice. Now, I, I believe God's word. I believe that literally happened. I believe that every speck of dust in the land of Egypt became lice. Notice he says in verse 16, throughout all the the land of Egypt. And so this was throughout the entirety of the land. As I mentioned here, it was not only the Egyptians that were affected by this. I believe the children of Israel were also affected by it. Uh, They they saw that. They uh, were uh, partakers in that. The Bible says in verse 17 that it became lice. In man and in beast, and I believe here this is the emphasis of this plague. The first plague was water everywhere, blood. The second plague is frogs everywhere you go, in your bed chambers, in your food, everywhere. There's frogs everywhere. Here is not necessarily uh, lice everywhere as much as it is on every man and every beast. That's why the Bible says, in man and in beast. The Bible says, notice verse 17, all the dust of the land became became lice. You see that word, all. Think about the magnitude of the plague. And again, he repeats in verse 17, throughout all the land of Egypt. We think here about the extent of the plague. It says here that it was throughout all the land twice Verse 16 and 17, we see the impact of the plague. This would directly affect every individual person living in the land of Egypt. Uh, one uh, commentator writes, he said, The, the uh, species of gnats here are so small as to be hardly visible to the eye, but with a sting which causes a most painful irritation of the skin. They even creep into the eyes and nose. Oh, that's lovely. I remember we uh, when we went to a Bible college there was uh, one year we had a lice infestation in, in the in the school right i think there was a few dorms and and i tell you what, that that was a uh, that was a strange process so they they, they, you had the staff members, all the staff members of the Bible college, they would inspect all the students, so they would line up all the ladies, and all the ladies would have to sit in this chair in front of all the other ladies, and then you have those staff members picking through their hair just looking for the lice, and then they would often do something like this if you had lice, it would go something like this and then you'd do the walk of shame in front of everybody, because you had lice, and then you'd have to wrap a turban on a, a, a turban on top of your head with all kinds of I guess uh, chemicals here to cause the lice to die. And, and so I'm grateful when they lined up all the guys in the gymnasium. And so there was all the bleachers, all the Bible college guys. And then they had a chair in the middle of the gym. And then you had to sit there with a staff member pricking through your hair. I'm grateful. He said, You're, you're good to go. It's like, Oh, praise the Lord. Because then you got 3,000, 3, I felt like 3,000, probably 300 students there, like, Oh, he's got lice. He's got lice. And so uh, it's not a pleasant thing. It's it's an annoyance. It's an irritant. And so this would be something that would be personal to... Think about it. Every single person in the land of Egypt was affected by this. We think also about the immediacy of the plague. If you notice the language that we find in our text, notice in verse 17, And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. Now, I want you to think of the language. When the Bible says when he smote that dust on the ground, the Bible says the dust became lice in man and in beast, which tells us this. There was already dust in man and in beast. And the moment that he smote that dust, immediately it became lice. So, uh, back then, they didn't have shoes and socks and and like we do uh, today, uh, they would have often sandals, open uh, a toe shoe. And so you can think, everywhere they go, their shoes would be crammed with dust everywhere. And uh, they would drag that in their house, and they would often, if they didn't wash their feet while well, the Egyptians did, not so sure uh, the, uh, everybody there. Uh, but the point is, everywhere they go, there would be dust if you would work, there would be dust in your clothes. And so, understand, immediately when Aaron stretched forth his rod and smote the dust of the ground, wherever there was dust in the land of Egypt, it became lice. So everybody that had dust, immediately was plagued with lice. You see, c- Scripture here uh, clearly points out that lice was er- in every man and in every Beast, and so this I think this we could describe this as a great irritation. But I really am interested in how does that attack the Egyptian gods? Uh, well, what's the big deal about the lice? Although it's very irritating, and I'm not interested in having lice. Uh, but we understand of certain things, certain things about Egypt in that time. The Egyptians were known for their cleanliness. Uh, that was something that they took pride in, especially. The priests in Egypt, uh, they would perform daily rites and traditions. They, This uh, purity was really physical, not spiritual. It was just an outward uh, cleanliness. They, they, They were circumcised. They would shave the hair from their heads and bodies. Uh, they would wash themselves frequently. They would always dress in beautiful linen robes. And so understand here, the lies would be seen As a pollution upon the human body. And so the priests in Egypt had a strong influence upon all the people across the land. Here is uh, what a day would look like in the life of an an Egyptian priest. Every morning the priest would enter a sacred room within a temple. And they had many temples. Behind him he would bolt the door shut so that no one could come in. He would then come into the chamber where the God uh, that, that was laying there was sleeping. He would then present the God with various garments and headdresses. Uh, The priest would then proceed to dress the God. After the God was dressed, he gave the God a meal which the God would eat. He probably ate it himself. Uh, the meal then meals would be offered throughout the remainder of the day. In the evening, the priests would often remove the garments off of the God's back and place, uh, and place Him in His resting place. Often, music and dance would often accompany all of those ceremonies. Now, why is this significant? Because all the worship, because of the lies, all of the worship of the false Egyptian's God would immediately cease all of it. Why? Why? Because the priest could never enter any temple or offer any worship being defiled. And so if he had lies, he could not worship God, his God. You see, remember, the priest would shave their heads and bodies every few days. They did so in part to prevent insects and vermin and impurities from defiling them. That's why they, they were uh, smooth and clean all the way through. And so the entire group of priests here would be itching with sores all over their bones and thus could not offer worship to their God. And so think about it. When that plague happened, what was God doing? He was causing the entire worship system of the Egyptians to stop in a moment. That's what God did. See, it was not just lice everywhere. God sent lies to prove something. You see, all Egyptian worship would stop in a moment. This judgment was, I believe, reciprocal. You remember what the request was from Moses and Aaron? What was the request? If you turn back with me, remember in Exodus chapter 5. Notice in Exodus chapter 5 verse 1. Now this is the first encounter between uh, Pharaoh, Moses, and Aaron. The Bible says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I uh, let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray, thee, three days journey into the desert and sacrifice unto The Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So do you notice here the two requests was, Let us go so that we may hold a feast unto the Lord in the wilderness. Verse 3, And sacrifice unto the Lord our God. And so Pharaoh had refused. He said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? And neither will I let Israel go. And so here this judgment was really reciprocal Because Egypt would not allow Israel to go and offer sacrifice and hold a feast to the Lord, God, in a moment, would stop all Egyptian worship. This judgment was not just only reciprocal, but this judgment was also revelatory. Egyptians were only interested in outward purity. They did not understand, nor were they interested in any type of inward purity. They were focused on the human body and the worship of the human body and the cleanliness of the human body, but they were defiled from within. And so God sends this plague to show them that no matter how clean they think they are, they are all defiled, and there is nothing they can do about it. Then we come to verse 18, and the Bible says, notice, Exodus chapter 8 verse 18. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. Now, as I mentioned, I'm going to keep making this point. Uh, If there was any power that was close to God's power, they would have at a moment said, Pharaoh would have asked the magicians, would you please take away the plague? Not duplicate it. In the first one, why would you want more blood? Take the blood away. Why would you want more frogs? Take the frogs away. And here, why would you want more lice? Take the lice away. You see, this is true of what we find in the world of anybody who uh, may want to represent God or, or to claim to have any power that is like God is that often you may try to duplicate something, but you cannot take it away. You can't stop the power of God. And here they could not stop the power of God. They could do nothing about it. They could do nothing to reverse the process. Now, as we see here... They did the same thing when the water was turned to blood. They did the same thing with the frogs. But here, notice our text. The magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lies, but they could not. Now, it's interesting here, the word. It is evident here that they attempted to duplicate the miracle. Now, the first time, they did it. The second time, they did it. The third time, the Bible says... They could not. So this third plague is known as the first plague that the magicians tried to duplicate but were unable to duplicate. And it is evident from our text that they attempted to duplicate with their enchantments. Now, Scripture doesn't say they would not. It says they could not. They tried, but they could not. There seems to be something or someone preventing them from duplicating the plague. Now, I think that's God. I I believe here that God, of the first two places, now some people try to reason away. They try to say, well, the Egyptians, they they really use trickery to try to duplicate what uh, Moses and Aaron. I I think there is some power in Satan. And God, we know, according to the Scripture, allows Satan a measure of power. But he's not more powerful than God. And so we've learned here that God has allowed them to demonstrate their power, satanic power, the first time, the second time, and when they tried to demonstrate their satanic power the third time, the Bible says they could not. Why? Because God would not let them. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Job in chapter 1. I think here we we find some um, important truths that will confirm here what I just mentioned. In Job chapter 1, Uh, So Scripture, again, doesn't say that they would not. It says they could not. And so there's something or someone preventing them from duplicating this miracle. Job chapter 1, notice with me, if you go down with me to verse 6, we read in the first five verses about Job, how he was a man of integrity. Uh, love the Lord. Notice in verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So that's Job 1, 6, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and sheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job... Fear God for not. Hast thou, hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself Put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now we know what happened. The children of Job died. But the point is here, now we read of the, what happened and the circumstances of that. And so here we see the uh, power of Satan being unleashed upon Job. But yet, God does give him a restriction. He says, you can't touch him. So I'll allow your power, but uh, not a power to touch Job. Okay, but we go to chapter two, and then we read verse one. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan uh, came also uh, uh, among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, uh, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So what does God say? You can inflict pain but you can't kill him so we're learning here that Satan is powerful God allows the satanic forces to work but when he wants to stop them he will Now, some would say, well, that that seems uh, uh, to be a little strange here. And uh, again, we're not preaching in Job, but we understand by the end, Job gets a greater appreciation for God, not a lesser view of God. Uh, We might think that, well, God, what is He doing here? He's playing games. No, He's showing Satan that Job is not going to blame God. Uh, In the end... Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. God has given, God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Job knew that, and he even said himself later, even if I die, I will not blame God. The point I'm trying to make is God has allowed those magicians and satanic power to duplicate in some measure the power of God, not to take away the power of God, but in some measure to duplicate and to fool the Egyptians. But in this case, the Bible says they could not do it. Why? Because God would not allow them. And that should really encourage us to know uh, that, yes, there is power that is against us. Uh, There is uh, the influence of darkness, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, powers against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, until uh, so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but understand that God has control. And when God wants to stop something, He will stop something. And by the way, that's how it's going to end. He's going to allow the power of Satan to prosper for a time, but then He's going to stamp it out. So they could not duplicate the lice. We read in verse uh, 19 a perplexing statement. We, well, from a uh, perplex, perplexing reaction from Pharaoh. But notice in verse 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, Notice, this is the finger of God. Now I think the finger of God is twofold. The finger of God is evident in when uh, Aaron smote the dust... All the dust became lies. But also the finger of God, I believe, is evident that they could not duplicate the miracle. That's the finger of God. God stopped us. Uh, A little later here in our text, they're, they're going to come to Pharaoh. The people are going to come to Pharaoh. They're going to say, look at all those plagues happening around you. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Stop hardening your heart, Pharaoh. Don't you see that we are nothing in the presence of God? He is too powerful for us. Now, it's interesting here that in Exodus eight nineteen, these are the last recorded words of the magicians. Their last recorded words are this. This is the finger of God. That's their last recorded words. In the end, They were forced to acknowledge the power of God. And by the way, in the end, we know how it all ends. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We find uh, this expression, we think about the finger of God, we could do a study on that. It's not uh, the point here of uh, tonight's study, but we think about God is going to write a little later in the book of Exodus, upon the tables of stone, He's going to write the Ten Commandments with His finger. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 10, He mentions, The Lord delivered unto me two tables of stones uh, uh, written with the finger of God. We think about even the psalmist, he said in Psalm 8 verse 3, When I consider the heavens the work of thy fingers... The sun, the moon, and the stars, which thou hast ordained. I I made a point here. Isn't it amazing that the magicians come and say, Man, this is the finger of God. And I'm thinking here, the finger. That means that they must have thought that God has much more power. But He only used His finger. Now, Now we know that a finger, you can put quite a bit of pressure with a finger. Maybe if you poke somebody, you can hurt somebody with a finger. But perhaps they're thinking about the lice. That's just the finger of God. God is much more powerful than what we see. God is much greater than the lice that we see across the land, everywhere. And so God with His finger, according to them, in a moment caused the entire Egyptian worship to cease. We read the reaction of Pharaoh. We would think here that the most powerful men in Egypt, the magicians, the ability and their enchantments to, to, to deceive the people, to convince the, the people to... Follow them and to worship false gods. And, and finally, these men who've been standing alongside Pharaoh, who've been defying uh, the Almighty God, Pharaoh, the Bible says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. You remember, God has said, he's gonna, I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to harden his heart. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to see that. It's going to happen again and again and again. And yet, we're, we're thinking here, we're thinking, well, wait a minute. There's been already three plagues. How can Pharaoh harden his heart? How can he deny God? How can he not submit himself to God? Well, you see, human nature is always the same. It, it hasn't changed. Uh, you know, we 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 would read here in just a moment, and by the way, I'm trying to make an application here both to the world but also to the church house, and we need to be reminded that judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. That if we're not careful, we might get into the mentality, and even we might think here that, oh, uh, well, you know, if we just saw, you know, a miracle, if we, if we just saw a sign, or if God would verbally speak to us, and then if God would just do something miraculous, then we could be convinced. And I'm convinced that many people would still not be convinced. Why? Because that's what we find in the Bible. How many signs, how many miracles, how many plagues before Pharaoh is convinced? During the life of Jesus Christ, how many miracles does He have to do to prove that He is the Messiah and the people still would not believe? Even in the book of Revelation when God pours out His judgment and the trumpets are poured out and the vials are poured out uh, upon humanity and people say, no, we are still going to defy God. We still will not repent. How much more that God has God have to do? You see, the truth is the problem is not God. The problem is man. Amen. And the truth is, I, I mean, I know God works wonders, but the truth is, how were you convinced? What, what, what is, makes the difference between those even during the time of Jesus Christ who accept Him and those who rejected Him? It's not the miracles. The people saw the same miracles. How can two people see the same miracle? Lazarus being raised from the dead. And a group say, that's the power of the devil. And the other group say, it's the Messiah. It's not about the miracle, it's about the person. It's about the submission of the heart. It's about the acknowledgement about who is God and who is the authority and who we must submit to. You see, I think God does the same in our lives. He often brings His finger and it's not this... Now we think of lice, you know, not those seemingly invisible creatures. They're visible with probably a microscope, and if you start digging through people's hair, you might be able to find some traces, small traces, but it's not like you can see them evident everywhere. But sometimes God sends His finger, and He, he tries to do a work in our hearts, convinces us, tries to influence us, and convicts us, and he, He's trying to work in us. And can I tell you, don't wait for some vision or some miracle for God to give your attention. Amen. The problem with, with Pharaoh is ultimately this. God said, let my people go. And he said, I will not let the people go. The problem is a problem of the what? We see it all throughout the pages. The heart. That's the problem. The problem is not the plagues. It's not God. It's the heart of man. Now it seems as we read this narrative that everybody's heart gets to the place where it is broken except for Pharaoh. At one point the people are going to tell Pharaoh, don't you see that Egypt is destroyed? Remember when when Pharaoh finally gives them permission to leave, the entire population of Egypt, they're going to give gifts. Says, Take this, take this, leave, 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 leave. Quickly. Everybody's convinced. Pharaoh has been the one in his heart who's delayed. And I wonder sometimes how many times God works in our hearts and He he works in us and He's trying to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. He's trying to call us and direct us to do certain things. And sometimes we can look all around us and see everybody sees God doing a work and then in our own hearts we're the only ones who are just kind of... We see everything. We see people serving God here. We see people serving God here. We see people responding to God. And we still won't respond to God. That's the heart of Pharaoh. Everybody knows what God is doing. But Pharaoh still has a hard heart. He won't budge. And so there is an application certainly to the world. And I've preached on this in the first two plagues. But there's also an application for the church. As I mentioned in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews writes, he says, harden not your hearts. As in what? As in the provocation. When your fathers proved me and tempted me and saw my works. You see, the hardened heart, yes, we find in the heart of of Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. But then as we leave with the children of Israel, and we go through the parting of the Red Sea, and we come on the other side, and into the Wilderness, whose heart is hard? Those who have been delivered by God, those who have seen the mighty works of God, those who saw the plagues, those who saw the parting of the Red Sea. Do we understand that the miracle did not solve the problem of the heart? The plagues did not solve the problem of the heart. I think eventually Pharaoh's going to let the people go, but his heart has not been resolved. And so some of the children of Israel, even though they're redeemed, they're going to carry at some point a hard-heartedness. I was thinking, what is the source of hard-heartedness? I, I, I was trying to think. I, I think it's evident maybe in, in Pharaoh because to the to the Egyptian god, uh, to, to the Egyptians Pharaoh is a God and, and so pride would tell him I, I can't submit myself because I'm God and so if I submit myself then I have to say that there's somebody greater than me and I'm not willing to admit that right. so, so we see that clearly in Pharaoh but what about the children of Israel because they also would have a hard heart what did they constantly refer to oh Moses Moses would we that we could go back to Egypt and have the garlic and the melons and the honey and all those things we had there in Egypt? We have been inconvenienced here. We don't like the same food every day. We want to go back to the life that we had in Egypt. What is that? Well, well, ultimately, that's pride. The, the same thing that is at the heart of the problem of Pharaoh, his pride. I am God. I want my way. And so the children of Israel later would say, well, I don't want to go through the difficulties. I don't want to go through the wilderness wanderings. I I I want God to give me what I want. That's a child. We don't want God's providing hand every day. By the way, that was a miracle. As God was blessing them with a miracle, they still didn't want it. They wanted something better. Pride. See, what hinders us, and that there's six things that God hates, a seven are an abomination unto him. You know, what one of those is? is a proud look. That's, right. That's the sin that, as I believe, at the root of many other sins is, lies at the root of Satan's sin. I will be like the Most High, That's right. I will ascend up to heaven. I'm going to be like God. Just let me be in charge of my life. That, my friend, is idolatry. It's a sin of pride that causes our hearts to be hardened towards God. And when God wants to move and get our attention, he said, no. God, you make it easy for me. Do what I want. To go back to Job, you know, Job would learn that ultimately we may think, well, this is unfair. But you know what Job would discover at the end? He discovered this wonderful truth. You're God and I'm man. That's right. So I'm going to remain in my place. And I'm, I'm going to try not to determine what I think should happen, should have happened, and should happen in the future. I'm just going to let God take care of that. Because He is God and I'm man. Uh, that's a basic thing. But that would the problem with Pharaoh. That would be the problem with the children of Israel. And so may the Lord help us. We know that's the problem with the world. But it can also be the problem in our own lives.